Would you join me now in 1 Corinthians 15? We're re-entering Paul's talk about the resurrection of our bodies at the end. And this morning, I have good news for you, and I have some bad news for you. The bad news is this, that your body is aging, even even yours, even yours, whoever you are, your body is aging. Now, I can genuinely say I actually prefer the age that I am over any age I've had before this. But even saying that, all the changes I've experienced physically over these years, they've been negative. <laughs> this week, I was on a website from Merck. Merck is a pharmaceutical company. They had, an, they had a website talking about the effects of aging on our bodies. And in category after category, they describe decrease and decline. Quite depressing. I told you bad news first. Let me just give you some of the examples of this lengthy, lengthy page on this website. Let's just talk about, first of all, our eyes. They spoke about aging on our eyes. The need for brighter light. As people continue to age, seeing in dim light becomes more difficult because the lens <clears throat> tends to become less transparent. So for reading, brighter light is needed. Listen to this. On average, <clears throat> sorry, 60-year-olds need three times more light to read than 20-year-olds. I think we have throat problems as we age too. Hold on. <clears throat> All right, we'll try that. So how about that? <clears throat> a 60-year-old needs three times more light than a 20-year-old. I didn't know that, but I've observed that in our house when our daughters and their 20-somethings and now early 30 and one of them, you, you see them reading in the dark. You're like, you need light. Turn on the light. Apparently, they're doing fine. It's my old eyes having trouble. Well, how about our ears? High-pitched sounds are particularly hard for older people to hear. They say the most frustrating consequence is that words become harder to understand. The reason is that most consonants, such as K, T, S, P, and CH, are high-pitched and consonants are the sounds that help people identify words. Because vowels are lower pitch sounds, they're easier to hear. Listen to this. Understanding what women and children say may be more difficult than understanding what men say because most women and children have higher pitched voices. Gradually hearing lower pitches also becomes more difficult. I might have just helped a marriage right there. <laughs> right? A wife is saying, you never listen to me. You listen to everybody but me. It's your pitch. <laughs> it's the frequency. It's he can't help it. It's aging. All right, here's another one. I could go on, but I'll just give one more example. Ligaments. Ligaments. Ligaments which bind joints together and tendons which bind muscle to bone and tend to become less elastic, making joints feel tight or stiff. These tissues also weaken. Thus, most people become less flexible. Ligaments and tendons tend to, tend to tear more easily. And when they tear, they heal more slowly. These changes occur because the cells that maintain ligaments and tendons become less active. And they go on on this website, as depressing as it sounds, to talk about aging on our skin, aging on our hearts, our kidneys, and our immune system. So physically speaking, aging is not our friend. That's the bad news. But I told you there's good news. And this is amazing news. Here it is, that all the effects of aging and disease and injury in your body can be reversed. 
And today we're not advertising some pill. This is not an infomercial for some procedure. This is the full hope of the gospel. If you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, all, all the effects of aging and disease and injury will be reversed in you. You have already in Christ a resurrected soul. That's amazing right there. Driving in this morning, I was just celebrating that to be made alive. I remember when I was dead in my sins and have God so graciously raised me from the dead spiritually to now know him, to want him. I'm still far from perfect, but I can't deny he has done something to me, an inside out transformation that's ongoing. So many of you around the room got the same thing going. You were dead. Now you're alive spiritually. But then to have 1 Corinthians 15 just repeat to us that there's coming not only the resurrection of a soul, that's already happened, but the resurrection of your very body at last. Jesus was apparently very serious when he said in Revelation 21, 5, behold, I make all things new. New heavens coming, new earth, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, a new you, a new body for the new earth for all of eternity. So today, as you think about, well, this body is declining. You might be tempted to look backwards to some glory day in your life. Oh, I remember when I was whatever age you think was your glory years physically. Don't look backwards. This passage is going to have you looking to the future, something far greater than any glory days you had when you were a bit younger. So the first thing I want us to notice from 1 Corinthians 15, as we re-enter, hear the promise of resurrection bodies. Hear the promise of resurrection bodies. This takes us back to verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming... Those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So here's the promise. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead after giving his life for us, we too physically will one day, when he returns, be raised from the dead. Jesus is the first fruits and there's coming a harvest of resurrection when he comes again. So let that sink in this morning that your final state is not to be a disembodied spirit forever. So you're not destined to be a spirit forever. You will have a resurrection body at the end. That's true. Second Corinthians tells us that there's coming a time in this era. If you die during this era, you will be absent from your body and at home with the Lord, there'll be this temporary separation from you, from your body, your body buried, but you go and to be at home with the Lord. What did Jesus tell the thief on the cross? Today, you will be with me in paradise. So your soul, if you know Jesus, will go to be with him immediately, but your body is in the ground awaiting the return of Christ when even your body will be raised from the dead. But right now, you're in this body. And right now, it's in a state of decline. If Jesus doesn't come first, you will die. Your body then in the ground will decay. Given enough time, it will return to dust. But then Jesus will come at last, and he will raise up your body. You will be reunited with your body. 
So the next time you drive past a cemetery, I want you to remember that all of those graves are temporary. Sometimes the old preachers at a funeral, they would say something about this being their final resting place. No, no, that's not your final resting place. It's a temporary holding space, but all of those graves will be emptied at last. For the believer in Jesus Christ, when Jesus comes, we're told that these dead in Christ will rise. There will be a resurrection. And then coming after that, there'll be another resurrection, even of the dead, meaning the unbelievers. And they will be raised up for further judgment. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. So we're just now talking for a moment about the promise of resurrection bodies. But now I want you to marvel with me at the description of our resurrection bodies. Look at the description. This takes us back to verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Paul anticipates questions in the minds of the Corinthians. Verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Like, how is this even possible? What's this body going to be like? You might be here today thinking, I don't even want to be a part of, another, of a resurrection. I'm so done with this body. This body's been so disappointing to me. I don't ever want to see it again. But no, you do want this body. What, what you see described here, you want that because it's more glorious than anything you maybe have imagined. And Paul uses three illustrations for us to try to get our brains around how glorious this resurrection body is going to be. First of all, an analogy regarding seeds. An analogy regarding seeds. We can say an agricultural analogy. Back to verse 36. You foolish person, what you sow, there's agriculture there, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed, its own body. So Paul says death and resurrection are like planting and harvesting. Just as you bury a seed in the ground and if you tend to it, it's gonna yield a larger plant later so is our bodies. Our bodies will be buried in the ground. And one day when Christ returns, they will be raised, transformed. So let's just think about gardening for a moment. If you were to go out in your backyard and this spring you plant maybe a tomato seed and maybe you planted one kernel of corn in your backyard and you took care of that after a month or so or whatever the time is, you would not go out there expecting to pick up that same tomato seed just all by itself 
and that one, one kernel of corn. That would be a colossal waste of time. We know the seeds would be in worse shape because of being put in the ground all that time. But we know this really, this miracle of how God designed agriculture to work, where you plant it in the ground. If you, if you do the right things with water and good soil and sunlight, something amazing happens to that simple, ugly, small seed. Let's think about corn a minute. You, you put corn in the ground, you're going to have something taller than you when it's all said and done. Something amazing happens. A transformation happens to what has been put in the ground. Paul said, that is a picture of what you have with the death of a believer and what's coming in a resurrection body. That very body, though transformed into something wonderful. So at our funerals, typically there is that time of committal, they call it, where the body will be there suspended over a grave and then usually the family leaves and the funeral director will lower our loved one in the ground and cover with dirt. And we, we think of that as the committal. But I think biblically, we could add to that our thinking, you know, that really is like a precious seed being planted in the ground. My loved one, if they knew Jesus, they're already with him. But there's coming a time when this body is going to be raised glorious. Keep that perspective in your mind, even when you grieve the death of a loved one who is in Christ. So Paul gives this analogy related to seeds, but now an analogy related to skin, an analogy related to biology. Verse 39, for not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. So Paul explains what we all know. There are different types of flesh and different types of creatures, and God has designed different animals to be in different places, and he gives them skin for that type of environment. So Human bodies have certain type of flesh. Different animals have different kinds of flesh. The birds are certainly different than us. And goodness, we think about fish, very different flesh that they have. But all this is by God's design for the environment where he intends for them to be. And likewise, God can give you a different body, a, a renewed body, a transformed body for the environment you're going to inhabit forever on the new earth. And this will take place at the second coming of Christ. So we have an analogy related to seeds. One we could say related to skin, and now an analogy related to stars. Verse 40, verse 41 rather. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. And Paul's making the point, your body now certainly has a kind of glory to it. But like when we look up at the night sky, different celestial bodies to us look more brilliant than others. Likewise, what's coming for you in the resurrection at the end will be more glorious than even the body that you inhabit right now, even at its best. But if I had to pick a favorite section of this passage, I really do love verses 42 through 44 here as this quick comparison contrast between the present body we have in its state when Jesus comes again. Listen to this, verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. And what is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown in natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Verse 42, Paul makes the point that our present body will be buried perishable. And that's how we started this morning, just talking about our bodies break down. We are subject to sickness, disease, degeneration, and death. And we know that. We are, we're in these bodies. We experience that. But if we needed any further proof, we drive around and we see the existence of pharmacies. Why are there so many pharmacies? Because there's something wrong with these bodies in our fallen condition. 
we keep driving and we see these urgent care places and we see full-on hospitals and we see physical therapy places. What's wrong? Uh, there's something wrong with our bodies. And then we keep driving and we see funeral home and funeral home and funeral home. There's something wrong here. These bodies are perishable. And isn't that humbling? I used to think about some of my groceries being perishable. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think of myself as non-perishable and I deal with these groceries and I have to replace those more often. But by the way, have you noticed even some of your non-perishables that you buy, if you don't keep an eye on it, they'll age out in your cabinets. You'll be throwing away some good stuff. You think, it's probably okay to eat. I'm not going to risk it. It's like four years old sitting up there. I'm going to throw that out. That stuff was non-perishable. Actually, it's perishable. You and I are in that category, as humbling as that is. You are perishable. The body you're in is perishable. But how about this? When Christ comes, you will be raised imperishable. We've never known anything like that. To, to, to have a body that will never deteriorate, never have any flaws, never get sick, to live, listen, forever on the new earth where we're destined. Revelation 21 talks about you're, you're going to live in a new body that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. It's going to be amazing never to die again. Verse, verse 43, it will be sown in dishonor, raised in glory. So we've all been to funerals. We've all watched loved ones get weaker and die. And we say there's something just dishonorable about my loved one going through that. But that's not the end. They will be raised in glory. And then this one, it's sown in weakness, raised in power. So nothing, nothing more weak than seeing one of our loved ones dead, lifeless body. We think, oh, that's weak. This weekend, I drove down to South Carolina to visit with my dad. And my dad's getting up in years and he suffers from severe de dementia and his body is weakening. And um, I was really happy because he was actually in pretty good mental uh, alertness while I visited and we had a nice time. In fact, uh, one, of the t uh, one of the times with him, I visited him three times over this two days, just going to his place and visiting with him. And his Bible was there. And I said, Dad, you want to read the Bible? He said, yeah, yeah. So I read to him, I just opened and looked around. I thought, hey, let's, let's read from John 15, the vine and the branches and how we're to abide in Christ. And so we read that. I read that to him. And then I was just looking at other things he had underlined in his Bible and highlighted in previous years. And, and there was John 14, 6. And so, well, I'll, I'll read that. And, you know, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I paused to see what my dad would do because he was starting to say some things along with me. And he finished the verse, you know, no one comes to the father, but through me. I love that moment. All right. as, as bad as his memory is. He's got some scripture in there and his faith is in Christ. So seeing him in that weakened state and knowing that it can't be, it can't be much longer before his body weakens and he dies. But no, that's not the end. Because of his faith in Jesus Christ, he'll be sown, buried in weakness. But there's coming a time he'll be raised in power. Paul says our bodies are sown natural bodies, but they'll be raised spiritual bodies. Meaning natural that these bodies are of the earth right now, suitable for earth. But what's coming is our bodies, these bodies physically raised and glorified a spiritual body for heaven, for the new earth. And so this is glorious. And we have a little hint at what these resurrection bodies will be like when we look at our savior. Remember he's called here in first Corinthians 15, the first fruits. And so places like Luke 24, 36, we read about Jesus after his death, his resurrection. What was his body like? We have this account, Luke 24, 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. 
But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. So here's Jesus after his resurrection. They're thinking, got to be a spirit. He's not a spirit. Resurrection. He's the first fruits of this. He has some new abilities in that body where he's actually appearing in a room with his disciples. That's new. But he's also one that they can touch and feel and see the imprints of the nails. And he's even able to eat to show them not a ghost, not a spirit risen physically from the dead. So we've been hearing the promise of our resurrection bodies in this passage. We've been marveling at this description of our resurrection bodies. But now this trust in the one who makes this possible. Today, trust in the one who makes this resurrection possible. And this takes us to verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, as was the man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here, Paul helps us to see again that Jesus undoes the damage that Adam brought to creation because of his sin. Adam's sin ushered in death. He's called the man of the earth. Adam's called the man of dust. But Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he brings life. He brings the end of death. He even brings glory. Jesus is called here in this passage, the man of heaven. And those who believe in him are people of heaven. So Jesus undid the damage that Adam brought to all of creation through his sin. And I want to pause here for an important moment of theological truth here. You probably know people, maybe it's you, who has felt intimidated perhaps by those who are scientists, when they move into the realm of speculative science, like how do we get here and all that, some people feel intimidated by that. And they think, well, you know, I got to find a place for evolution into my Bible. And they start to try to put those together. There's a term for it called theistic evolution. And some people have felt they need to do that. I want to remind you, you create a whole host of problems for yourself theologically when you try to put that theory in with the truth of God's word. Here's, here's your big problem, and this passage is going to help you undo that, I think. The big problem is somebody who believes that, well, there were billions of years of things living and dying and morphing and, and evolving till we finally got to Adam or somebody and all that. Well, we have a problem there. You, you can't hold that position and hold to the New Testament. It's not just an Old Testament error you have now New Testament, because notice how in the New Testament, the gospel is built on Jesus undoing what a literal Adam did. So a one man, so notice this, we saw this in verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Listen, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So where did death come from? Death can't precede Adam. Death can't precede Adam's sin. Death came to the universe 
because of Adam's sin, just as God warned. And so we have Adam, a literal creation of God, the first man, along with his wife Eve, sinning. Now death becomes our experience. Jesus comes to undo that, what the one man did. And so very clearly we see in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, you might have questions about that. We can send me a note on your connection card. We can talk more about that. But I just want you to have a consistent biblical theology here. Your, your New Testament gospel is built on a literal reading of those first chapters of Genesis, in particular, as you look at Adam. So you're saying, Jim, I love this idea of a future resurrection of the body. I'd like to make that trade now. Can you give me something for application for this week? Because that seems like a long time off in the future. Well, let's talk about some application. From this passage, I think today in the here and now, we can say this. Well, don't put all of your focus on your physical body. And don't we live in a culture that's prone to do that, where we live in a beauty-obsessed culture, a fitness-obsessed culture, a food-obsessed culture. Some people are very picky. I, of what they will eat. And so there is a, there's a way of going overboard with a focus on your, your body and your health. But we don't go too far with that. It is important to take care of your body, right? It's the one you have. And we do learn that we are body, soul in one right now. And if you don't take care of your body to some degree, you're going you're gonna to suffer for it here. You're going to make it more difficult to serve the Lord. By the way, the International Mission Board can't even send you as a missionary if you're in poor health. They, they want you healthy enough for the rigors of serving overseas. So there is wisdom in, in being reasonable and taking care of your body, eating right and exercising some and getting enough sleep. That's not unspiritual. In fact, I was listening to a podcast this week. A Christian counselor was saying when people come in with, with depression and anxiety, he, he says there are multiple things we're going to do to try to help them feel better. But among the things this Christian counselor says, he, he says to them, I want you to start moving. He said, I won't use the word exercise. Nobody likes that word. He said, you just need to start moving. That's, that's going to be part of your help from anxiety and depression. And get, get enough sleep. That's going to be part of you getting better. And eating better food, that's, that's part of it. So it's not unspiritual to take care of your body. But we don't want to be like some in the culture who idolize their bodies. It's all about their bodies and how they look and, and so picky about what they eat. I, I bet there are some people who think, well, I can never go be a missionary because there's dirty air over there. I, don't, I, can't, I can't go take the gospel to some difficult place because I don't know that I can control my, my diet the way I like it. So there is an overshooting. But listen, what's your body for? Your body is for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6, we saw it back in chapter 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Listen, so glorify God in your body. We're prone to glorify ourselves with our bodies. No, no longer. I want to glorify God with this declining body. I just want to bring him glory with it. Here's another thing we can do with this passage. This point, don't live to preserve this body. Take care of your body, serve the Lord with this body, but, but don't live so cautiously that you live with the goal, I'm going to preserve it. Because we see in the Apostle Paul, who God inspired to write this chapter, did he not lay down his life for the gospel? Over and over again, he laid down this body. He didn't live so cautiously and so picky about his body that he couldn't risk it all for the gospel. He told us back in verse 30, he said, I'm in danger every hour because of the gospel. He said in verse 31, I die daily. In 2 Corinthians, we read some of those things last week where Paul talked about being stoned with stones. He was beaten. He said five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Paul in this body, he said, I experienced lots of times of hunger and thirst. And eventually he was martyred. He laid down his life. He laid down this body to the Lord. How could he do it? 
because he knew to live is Christ and to die is gain into a whole new dimension coming. Yes, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But then this body raised up and glorified. How wonderful. So one other point of application is this. Trust in Jesus. Today, if you've been waiting, wait no longer. Repent of your sin. Repent of the direction you've been running. And put your faith in Jesus Christ. This, this news of a resurrection body that's going to be glorious forever, that's not for everybody. That's only for those who have repented and believed in Jesus Christ. I mentioned earlier, there's another resurrection for the unbeliever. It's not good. When Jesus comes again, it's called the first resurrection. You can read about this in the book of Revelation. And, and those who are in Christ who've died, their bodies will be raised. And all these promises of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 come into play. But then there's a future resurrection for those who are unbelievers. They, they resisted the gospel. They rejected the gospel in this life. They too will be raised. Their graves will be empty, but they'll be raised, given a body suitable for judgment forever. One commentator said it this way, the lost will be given bodies suited to their environment in hell. They will suffer forever in darkness and pain. And the references there, Matthew 25, 2 Thessalonians 1, Revelation 20. The commentator goes on to say, it behooves us who are saved to seek to rescue them from judgment. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, 2 Corinthians 5, 11. And then he says this, if you've never trusted the savior, do so now before it's too late. And I want to echo that appeal to you. Repent today of your sin. Repent today of your unbelief and believe in Jesus today. Trade in your old life, your sin-soaked life. Turn it in, trade it in on a new life that Jesus wants to give you. A life that will be made new now, but for all eternity. This week, I got a text on my phone. I looked down to see who it was from. It was from one of the car dealers in town. And they made an offer to me that really wasn't that great of an offer. They told me that if I bring in my car, my older car, they would let me drive out with a new car with no money down. That's not a great deal. That just means I'm going to be in more debt. Like, we're going to have you for longer. And I did not bite on that temptation. I'm sure I would enjoy the newer car, but not, not at those terms. But consider what Jesus offers you. This is amazing. He does. He, he invites you to do a trade-in. You bring your life that you've broken with lots of sin. And other people have been hurtful to you, but you've done a lot of the hurting. And you've been spurning him and all this sin. You've offended him. But God says, bring me that life and lay it down before me. Come humbly, come sorry, bring me that life and we're going to do a trade in. And, and, and it's not going to keep you in debt. In, he paid in full on the cross in his resurrection. He's going to give you a new life, a resurrected soul right now. And then to come this very life, this very body raised up and glorified forever to be with him. That's amazing. You bring nothing but pain and mistakes and regret, and he gives you new life, forgiveness, redemption, adoption, glorification forever. That is amazing. Take that opportunity. And that's the gospel. That's, that's what our Bible is all about from start to finish. It's about Jesus willing, wanting to save you, give you a new life now forever. And so I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive what God is offering. So let's bow our heads. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward in front of everybody because you don't have to do that to be saved. But, but right where you are, you can repent and believe in Jesus.
And I want you to do so if you've never done that. Don't, don't go another day in darkness. Don't go another day uh, a heartbeat away from hell. Today you can be saved, forgiven. So you, you could say something like this to the Lord if you mean it. You could say, Jesus, I, I acknowledge that I've sinned against you. You, you should go and be honest. Lord, I've sinned against you a lot. I think you could say this. Lord, I'm very sorry for all of my sin. I'm not right. I've not been right. I'm sorry. But now I know you can forgive me. You can save me because you died for me. And you were raised from the dead. I'm now giving you all my trust. And I'm not trusting in me any longer. I'm not trusting any rules I've tried to keep. I'm Jesus, I'm trusting in you. Save me, Jesus. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. If you've prayed that, you've meant that, that's a new life right there. Sin's forgiven. You got purpose ahead of you, peace ahead of you, joy ahead of you. Yes, some declining health and all that we deal with, pains and betrayal, all that. Oh, but heaven's coming with him forever. Now, let me pray for you. Lord, I, I thank you for the gospel that you make this offer available to us. For anybody who would turn and trust in you, we can have this gift of everlasting life. Lord, I pray you're doing that, that work now of saving souls and encouraging Christians at the same time. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.